Tammy. And I'm Nicole. And And we we are Spooky Sleuths. Hey guys. Hello. Welcome back to an episode of Spooky Sleuths. Today, we're just going to dive right in and start talking about Robert Hansen. Sounds exciting. A.K.A. The Butcher Baker. So another another butcher story. <laughs> we love a good butcher, apparently. Robert was born on February 15th, 1939 in Estherville, Iowa, to a strict disciplinarian Danish immigrant father. His father was the owner of a bakery, so most of Robert's childhood was spent working long hours in the bakery. His father did not like that Robert was left-handed, so he forced him to write with his left hand. In some sources, this they stated that this is what caused Robert to develop a stutter. I've never heard of that. As a nurse, I've I've not heard no. of that. That's something that is developed from stress. I have heard that. Yeah. Like a traumatic event. But otherwise, it's normally from, from birth, from learning. Right. And of course, he was mocked for it in school. The stuttering, not, not the left hand. I mean, maybe the left hand, but the stuttering. I have a joke. Yes, ma'am. Hey, Robert, is your dad a baker? Because you got nice buns. Yummy. As a teenager, Robert was very shy and had horrible acne. He was made fun of in school constantly while also being rejected by all the girls. Because of this, Robert was a loner. He loved spending time alone. I don't know if that was just because he was an introvert or because he was conditioned so much right he'd rather be alone than around a group of people as he got older he loved hunting because it allowed him to take his anger out on the animals sign number one i mean not that hunting make means that you're gonna be a serial killer but is why that's your only pastime and that's why you do it when robert was 18 enrolled in the army reserve he thought this would help him start over as an adult and leave his childhood behind, which I think is commendable. Yeah. While in the Army Reserve, he was an assistant drill instructor in Iowa. Robert made the most of his Army Reserve training, taking the opportunity to become a very skilled marksman. Great. Robert worked in the reserves on the weekends and spent the week continuing to work at the bakery. It wasn't long until Robert committed his first crime, because he is all the all the ingredients to yeah. commit these murders. Let's hope that he isn't baking his victims and serving oh, like oh, like William Robert Pickton. No men's to meet ever for me. No. In 1960, Robert was 21 and he felt like he still wasn't valued in his community. In December, he approached a young bakery employee and convinced him to help him burn down a school bus garage. Hopefully an empty school bus garage. We're going to assume an empty because we were not being charged with murder yet. That's that's true. The boy was interrogated by the police and he told them everything, including that Robert was the main culprit. Robert was arrested and spent three years in prison for his crime. While in prison, he was diagnosed with having an infantile personality. An infantile personality is a lack of generalization, inability to discriminate cues, and the prominence of substitute gratifications over sublimations. Sublimations. People with this personality disorder lack emotional development, have a low tolerance of stress and anxiety, an inability to accept personal responsibility, and rely on age-inappropriate defense mechanisms. Okay, so that's like being 30 years old, getting told no, and throwing a a temper tantrum. Yes. When Robert was arrested, his first wife divorced him. Naturally, cause and effect. 
Now, in 1963, he, re he remarried to a woman who he would go on to have two kids with. Over the next four years, Robert would be arrested several times for petty theft charges. He decided to move his family to Anchorage, Alaska in 1967 and opened a small bakery. Oh, okay. He didn't open the bakery until 1980, though, when he staged a burglary at his home and used his insurance money to fund it. Of course he did. The locals liked Robert. They thought he was a nice guy who was a great hunter. He actually broke several hunting records using pew-pew weapons and bows and arrows. That's for you, too. <laughs> Robert continued to break the law, but his crimes escalated from petty theft to S.A. In 1972, Robert was arrested twice. The first was for abducting and attempting to S.A. a housewife, and the second for doing the same to a sex worker. Robert only got sentenced to six months in prison for these two crimes. Six months for essaying two women, well, essaying one woman and attempting to essay a second? I I don't get it. These crimes do not hold their... You'd get more for carrying, like, some weed on you. Yes. Maybe not right now. I don't know the laws right now, but... But in 67? Yeah. No, 72 is when it was when it occurred. Yeah, in 72, you would absolutely go to jail for more time for marijuana. And I'd probably still be in prison today. I might be examining it, but still. In 1977, he was arrested again for stealing a chainsaw. During this arrest, he was diagnosed with bipolar personality disorder. Now, we worked in mental health. Mm -hmm. This doctor, straight out the gate after the bipolar diagnosis, prescribed him with lithium. That's not what really happens in real life. Like, that can't be. I know it was, but lithium is a very strong medication and it requires constant monitoring of the amount in your system because you can overdose on it. And your kidneys, your liver, yes. like checking all of that. That's just unheard of that that's the first medication in today's time. That's unheard of that that's the first medication a doctor puts you on. Even in the 70s, I feel like there had to be some others before you're jumping to lithium. There's got to have been. His doctor prescribed him lithium, but they couldn't force him to take it. Of course. I wouldn't want to take it either. I, I wouldn't either. Even if I if I was bipolar and needed to be medicated, I, I would be willing to take medication, but not lithium. Not right out the gate. Try other things first just because of the long-term effects that it can cause. Right. And generally does. Robert would serve one year for stealing this chainsaw. So he, he served more time for stealing for a chainsaw versus essaying two women. Well essaying and attempting to essay. I wonder if because he essayed a sex worker, if that's why he got less time. Oh, probably. He had originally been sentenced to five years for stealing the chainsaw, mm -hmm. which just makes the other thing worse. Yeah. And appealed a sentence, lowering it to one year. Okay. After Robert was released, he decided to buy himself a Piper Super Club bush plane. That sounds like something he needed. He decided to make this purchase despite not being able to get a pilot's license due to being prescribed lithium. Because, you know, lithium is so strong. Yeah, I didn't know you couldn't get a pilot's license when you're taking lithium. So. I didn't either, but it makes sense. It does. One thing that Robert had going on that nobody knew about was his transformation into a serial killer. Right. Robert began murdering women in 1973 after his arrest for the SA. Robert would pick up sex workers in Anchorage's Tenderloin District, which just... Of course it's called the Tenderloin District. Robert stated, If they came across with what I wanted, we'd come back to town. I'd tell them if they made any trouble for me, I had connections, and would have them put in jail for being prostitutes. 
he would take the women onto his bush plane out in the woods. Once in the woods, he would SA them and then torture them. Robert claims that if the woman complied with his fantasies, he would return them to Anchorage alive. These women suffered before their return by being SA'd, forced to have oral sex, and even essayed with the handles of hammers and broomsticks. That is awful. If they did not comply, he would murder them, but not without getting a thrill first. Oh, Lord. He would set them loose in the woods and hunt them down, like the most dangerous game. Yeah, that would be terrifying. Number one, I've already decided if I'm being chased by, like, a masked murderer, I'm laying down and playing dead. Because I'm not going to outrun them, and I'm a, I'm a a big girl i can't run so i might as well just die peacefully laying down instead of using all this energy to get away but could you imagine how terrifying that would be running through the woods that you likely don't know and having someone shoot at you i couldn't imagine running from somebody that i know's goal is to kill me yeah see just lay down I, they might think you're dead i might die but they're probably gonna have a black eye yeah i'm not a fighter Robert has 17 victims that were murdered, but over 30 unnamed women between 1971 and 1983 that were essayed. Probably because of that threat that he would have them turned in for prostitution. In 1980, construction workers were digging near Eklutna Road. They unearthed the body of a woman who has not been identified and only referred to as Eklutna Annie. That's sad. She was stabbed to death the year prior. I believe that's just from... Yeah, I'm pretty kids. impressed that they can figure that... They All the way back in the 80s, they could figure that out. You know, time of death and all. Yeah. Later on in 1980, Joanna Messina's body was found in a gravel pit. After Joanna was found, the police assigned a special task force to look into the murders. The next victim found was Sherry Morrow, an exotic dancer. She was found by hunters and estimated to have been deceased for 10 months. That is so sad that these women were gone, just laying there dead for so long and no one knew. That's so sad. Remote location in Alaska, it's not surprising, but it's depressing. Right. It is. The hunters alerted authorities, but they got no closer to solving the case. In 1983, Robert sent his wife and two children on a European vacation. Oh, that's nice. He wanted them out of the house so he could bring his victims to the house. That's not so nice. He called this his summer project and began running ads in the local singles news. Oh, screw you, your summer project. His ad stated, Join me in finding what's around the next bend, over the next hill, in an attempt to get women to contact him. That makes me want to puke. That's cheesier than I am. Which is sad. That That is sad. Cindy Paulson was a 17-year-old girl working as a sex worker. On June 13, 1983, she was walking down the road with a handcuff still around her wrist. A trucker spotted her and took her to a motel so she could wait for her boss to arrive, and the truck driver called the police. Cindy told the Anchorage police officer that a man offered to give her $200 for oral sex, then forced her into his car at gunpoint and handcuffed her. The man drove her to his home and essayed her and tortured her. After this, he drove her to the airport and put her in a bush plane. However, while he was loading the plane, Cindy ran off. Cindy was smart enough, though, to leave her shoes behind at the crime scene. Go, Cindy. I don't know if I would have thought about that. I would want to keep my shoes on my feet if I want to take off running. Yeah. But that's good for her. Oh, absolutely. evidence behind. Cindy was able to give the police the make and color of the bush plane as well as the plane tail number. 
Well, that's good. The police ran the tail number and identified Robert as the owner. The police brought Robert in and Cindy correctly identified him as her attacker. The problem is, Robert had two friends that gave him an alibi for the night. A false alibi, naturally. So Cindy is their perfect victim. She knows everything. She left evidence behind. She can identify him. But he has an alibi. She's a sex worker with a story. Who are we going to believe? He's a respected, at this point, respected citizen with an alibi. And to make matters worse, Robert also claimed that Cindy was lying because he didn't want to pay her extortionate demands. So they're going to believe Robert. The police didn't file charges because of this and never searched Robert's property to find Cindy's shoes. I'd be mad if I was Cindy. I'd be like, I want my shoes back. Exactly. I'm not going to put them in jail. At least give me my shoes. Now, Alaska State Troopers were convinced that they had a serial killer on the loose. Plot twist, they did. <laughs> they continued to see sex workers go missing, and they started to find their bodies. In September of 1983, Paula Golding, a 30-year-old dancer, was found in the Nick River. This prompted the Alaska State Troopers to get in contact with the FBI and start looking more into Robert. He was the only lead they had. The FBI sent a profiler to Alaska, who described the killer as having low self-esteem, a history of being rejected by women, an experienced hunter, that he took souvenirs from victims, and even that he had a stutter. This profiler was good. Absolutely. Prof profiling is one thing that I really thought I wanted to go on to do as a child. It's so interesting. Like, how do you know? I mean, mine was completely because of the show Criminal Minds. But <laughs> I just, how did you know that he had a stutter? You know? Or that he was an avid hunter. I mean, yeah, you can uh, assume that he's been rejected by women a lot because... Who is victims, all right? That's generally the case, but you predicted that he had a stutter. That's pretty good. Eventually, Robert's two friends that lied about his alibi confessed their lie to the police. Oh, at least they finally told the truth. Which then made the state troopers focus more on Robert. As they should. They were able to interrogate him and obtain search warrants on his house, plane, and cars. During the police's search of Robert's house, they found many, many weapons. He had a 223 Ruger Mini-14, which he used to commit his murders, IDs, and jewelry that he would take as trophies from his victims, and an aviation map with several marked locations. So, this map is where he would take them. Let's find out. <laughs> The FBI was able to test the shell casings they found near victims with Robert's weapon, and they got a match. They charged Robert with four murders because that's how many bodies they had at that point. Mm -hmm. And with the SA of Cindy Paulson. So Cindy did, did it her yeah. justice. Robert took a plea deal, agreeing to confess to the charges. He also gave them the details about his victims, showing them burial sites marked on his aviation map. So each of those locations is where he had buried victims. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> In exchange for his cooperation, Robert wanted to serve his time in federal prison and avoid the media. Of course he did. Robert showed the police 17 burial sites. He wouldn't confess to killing the four women that had been found and refused to show the FBI their burial sites. It is theorized that Robert couldn't justify these murders to himself because these women were not sex workers, so he refused to confess to them. Even though that's what your plea deal was for, you're not going to confess still. Okay. Exactly. It doesn't It doesn't make a lot of sense. No. The math isn't mathing there. The ones that Robert confessed to were Joanna Messina, Sherry Morrow, Paula Golding, and ex-Lutena Annie. 
The authorities did continue to retrieve bodies from the grave sites marked on Robert's map. They were able to recover 11 more bodies over the following eight months. Wow. Many victims were unnamed, but the ones we do know of are as follows. Rox Eastland, Lisa Futrell, Andrea Altieri, Angela Fetter, Tersa Watkin, and Dellen Frey. These women all went missing in Anchorage and surrounding areas while Robert was on his murdering rampage. So it's safe to, I mean, we know that he murdered them. They were buried on his map. Absolutely. On February 18th, 1984, Robert was convicted of murder. Good. His wife divorced him and left with his children. She resettled their family in Arkansas with her parents. That's Ro good. Good for her. Right. I'm glad that they were able to attempt to rebuild. Robert received a life sentence plus 461 years. So he's not getting out. No. Mainly because he died. Oh, oh. I guess he really, I guess he got out. But. On August 21st, 2014, from undisclosed health conditions at 75 years old. So he still served, like, a life till the end of his life. In August of 2021, police were working to identify more victims. So good. So they're still trying. Three years ago. One victim, identified as Horseshoe Harriet for the past 37 years, had a new DNA profile generated. Oh, cool. The profile was uploaded into a public access genealogy database. They were able to construct a family tree for the woman because of several close familial matches. They were able to identify the woman as Robin Pelkey, who would have been 19 years old when she was murdered in Anchorage. I mean, that's really cool that 37 years later, they're able to bring closure to families. Yes. And I think in, I think in the John Wayne Gacy case, they are identifying people still with like Ancestry.com, things like that. The genealogy databases. I think that's really cool. I do too. They give me the heebie-jeebies because of who I am as a person. However, I understand that it's helping others now. Yeah. There was no record of her being missing, so the authorities contacted the Arkansas State Police where Robin had close family members. Okay, cool. They obtained a DNA sample to compare and determined that Horseshoe Harriet was, in fact, Robin Pelkey. I hope that we continue to hear stories like Robin Pelkey's identifying the victims. These victims and their families deserve the closure after the horror that Robert Hansen caused. I agree. I'm, I'm glad we could end on an a recent story about them still trying to identify those victims so their family can have closure. Because whether it be, you know, a year later, 10 years later, 30 years later, you they still deserve that. Exactly. Well, that was a great story. It was. And I mean, it had not necessarily a happy ending, but with the stories that we tell, not all of these have even a positive ending. Yeah. And this one does. And I'm glad we were able to, you know, disclose that information. Yeah, hopefully those 30 unnamed women can be found at some, can be identified at some point. I mean, with the leaps and advances technology is making, I have hope. So anyway, guys, make sure to check us out on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube if you're not watching there at Spooky Sleuths Pod. Make sure to subscribe to all of our social medias to stay up to date with what we're doing now. Smash that like button. I'm sitting over here on pins and needles waiting for her to say it. We'll see you next week. And on that note, stay, stay spooky, spooky, friends. friends.